A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is going to be a podcast today where Guy is going to try and change my mind. We've got unbelievable amount of questions from the fantastic facebook rick shields podcast group um should we just jump straight into this sorry guys i'm rick Rick shields i'm here with producer guy hello and this is uh i think this is episode episode number eight of the uh, rick shields podcast it's gonna be the best episode yet i'll be honest the intro is not living up to that that intro is very sloppy you're gonna wing this one so it's either gonna be the best ever yet or you're gonna be driving along thinking what the hell am i listening to but (laughs) let's go for it so one of the things we haven't done for a few weeks, but I was starting to do was to change my mind. So I was bringing up topics that are quite controversial. Doesn't always mean I agree with what I'm saying, but try and get you to change your mind on said topic. I've got some big ones today. Go on, what have you got? <laughs> I say big ones. The first I, one's going to be a bit... Mm, I actually genuinely have no idea what he's going to throw at me here. Okay, are you ready for this? This is When I'm saying change your mind, it's also changing the perception of the listeners as well. And, and one of these came from the Facebook group. I saw somebody a few weeks ago put something about this in. He asked, do people use iron head covers? And my topic to you, every single golfer that walks this planet should use iron head covers. Let me tell you why. Well, I'm already out, guy. I'm Practical already... reasons. <laughs> Go on. It stops noise. So when you're walking along and it's clackety, clackety, clack, iron head covers, that doesn't happen. But on a more serious note, there's obviously a culture that iron head covers aren't cool and they're a bit dorky, for want of a better word. But genuinely, especially if you have forged golf clubs, they keep your clubs protected. Now... Most people aren't fortunate like us here who obviously get clubs sent to us and whatever. You know, who are you talking about? Well, I use a lot of your stuff. Um, you know, people have to go out and buy golf clubs and obviously when they then buy the new set, may have to sell on their old set or trade them in. If you have a set of forged irons that have been used with iron head covers, the chances are they'll be in much better condition, therefore increasing the resale value. A big um, reason why people don't use them, as I said earlier on, was that they're not particularly cool. It can be sometimes, well, it's hard to see what club I'm using. But, you know, iron head covers might have a big... <laughs> I'm almost laughing at something saying this. I'm not sure how convinced Guys, I am. This is this is the fastest growing golf podcast in the world and we're talking about iron head covers. Well, okay, what would you say about iron head covers then? Tell me why you shouldn't use them. To the point that you mentioned before, it's just not cool. It's... Um, I think from a from a standpoint when you want to see your clubs in the bag to have them gli- they've been designed to be a particular look not just the look behind the golf ball but the look in your golf bag it's a little bit like your mobile phone your mobile phone has been designed to be sleek stylish nice to touch good to look at and this is where I uh, I would say people who put iron head covers on the uh, iron head covers on their irons the same people who put a flip case <laughs> on their iPhone or Samsung or whatever. I'd, I understand the practical reasons, but for me, the clubs are designed for beauty. Like if you bought a fancy car and you put a frigging blanket over it, you know, and you drive around, you don't. You want it to look good. You want it to look smart. And yeah, there's a bit of protection granted, but I don't think it. I actually personally like when clubs get a bit battered. I personally like seeing a few little dints and chips and wear and tear. It feels like, you know, you're using the clubs. You're actually, you know, getting used, getting familiar with them rather than it just being, you know, they're all perfectly shiny in your bag. I actually personally, and this is, this is a bit more controversial, I don't like clean clubs. I actually don't like my clubs to be 
perfectly clean. I actually like them to be a little bit dirty. I like them clean, usable clean, but I don't mind if they've got a little bit of, you know, grass stains or... You like the odd flyer. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever, but... Rick gets his six sign 195 <laughs> yards every time on the fly. Every time. Um, yeah, so for me, they've got to look good in your bag. And I'll tell you what the biggest pet hate for head, iron head covers are. Go on. If you lose one. Yeah, that is true. If you lose one of your iron head covers... Then it's then it's a game. It's changer. always an iron in the middle is like a seven or an eight. It, it looks dead obvious. They're popular iron. Uh, the golf clubs that I've seen in the past where there's been rows of iron head covers lined up on the pro shop windowsill mm-hmm. where people have handed them in. Now, if you were to ever have to wear <laughs> wear them, if it became a law where you had to use iron head covers, I think the law would have to be you cannot use hard cased. Head covers. Okay. They're, soft they're for me, zippies. They're for me the worst. I don't like soft zippies. Castle Bay. I like the ones that are a little bit foamy, that don't require a zip, oh. that have a little bit of a of a an elasticated entrance and exit, and also has a wow. slight... <laughs> I thought about this. Also has a slight... Um, instead of the number on the actual head cover, has a little window, a little cellophane wow. window, so that you can actually see the iron number. Wow. Okay. So if, if it became a law tomorrow, <laughs> if the USGA and the RNA decided to go, you know what? We brought in keeping your flag in. We've, caught, we've, we've changed a load of different things. We're also going to change the idea that you now need iron head covers. Um, I completely disagree with them. I think anybody that uses them definitely is not cool wow. in any way. I feel like I'm only offending 10 people, so I don't mind. Um, and they should never be used. Wow. Putter head covers is a different See, one, that's right? the thing. I remember when I started playing golf, putter head covers weren't a thing. Really? Yeah. Those Scotties had them, but pings and stuff didn't come with a putter head cover. And now every single brand has a putter head cover. Because why would you want your Scotty Cameron getting dinted in the bag? It doesn't affect performance necessarily massively, but you wouldn't do it. If you saw someone with a £400 Scotty and no head cover, you'd think, what on earth? But yeah. I'd respect them. Yeah. So, yeah. And it. All I'm going to say on the matter is, I'm not going to change your mind, but I think if listeners see somebody out there with a set of iron head covers, they should really cool respect them. them. No, really. They might have worked hard to buy those. Laugh they might be them. thinking in the future, I want to resell these on, and I don't want to get um, less money than I deserve because of the odd dint here and there. I want them to be pristine, and that's my say on it. I think you should uh, you should give them two less shots when you're playing against them. Um, that went well, anyway. Yeah. So I've not changed your mind. <laughs> no, I've got not. some better ones than that. Though. That was a little. That was just a little starter. Wait till you get hit with the main course and the dessert. I you could are. just imagine as well, with Christmas around the corner, people are going to get bought these crap presents. What's the worst golf present you've ever been bought? So, <laughs> Abby, my fiancé, I'll start saying fiancé now, um, bought me three golf pens that are like the shape of like a wood <laughs> and then at the grip, there's like you pull the grip off and there's a pen underneath and it's only like last Christmas she got me them and I was like alright thanks <laughs> I'm not going to use them I've also been bought right, um, thanks I think there's one it's like called like Poo Golf which was put in the, oh, the bathroom and it's just like literally no offence whoever's bought me that I'd rather have the £8 and buy a new glove yeah yeah, you'd rather just check your phone when you're on the toilet. Yeah not practice you putting in a weird position yeah I always remember getting a um it was like a, a tub um, in the shape of a Christmas tree. Right. So like, like it had ridges. It started thin and went and went thicker with ridges. And it was full of different assorted T-pegs. That was one of my worst. Um, what they're called? Shot counters. Oh, the standard, yeah. Ball standards. cleaners. Yeah. Um, cheesy pitchforks. Yeah. Novelty head covers. Mm-hmm. Bloody towels. Yeah, the towels are always dead thin and dead small. They're never good. They're never like tightly tore towels. They're like kitchen towels. I went through a phase when I was a junior of using like a bath towel almost. I used to have a tall bag and a big white bath towel on it and that was really cool. It was like not, it was just over the top of the clubs laying over. Yeah, that that, that was the time. And then also you've got like, um, you get given like really crap golf balls like that are Mm. just not premium. You know, fifteen top flight. Never twelve. Those come in fifteen or eighteen. Dead. They're also the heavy, like top flight. Do some damage to them golf balls. If you get hit with a top flight, you get, you get injured. You get hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, you know it's going to happen. And the other thing is, well, how many times? Certainly birthdays, but even though Christmas, how many times are your Christmas cards or birthday cards golf themed? Mm. Mine used to be always golf themed, and because there's not many golf themed Christmas cards or birthday cards, they all look the same. 
people have gone to the yeah. same shop and bought the same card. Uh, thanks to my loved ones. I'll tell you what is a, is a good gift. I know most people here, obviously, listening are golfers, but if you've got any other family or friends that are golfers that you're looking to get a Christmas present for, um, you can actually get them a, a free subscription to the Rick Shields Golf YouTube channel. No yeah. way. Um, there's hours upon hours of golf content on there, from reviews to wow. coaching to entertainment videos. So that's what I want for Christmas. Wow. That is, is that a... a exclusive offer for the rick shields podcast listeners it is until december 31 hit subscribe and then comment in the comment section to get even more discount off your free subscription put in we'll i pay I, you to subscribe <laughs> i came from the rick shields podcast um i genuinely know what are good christmas gifts um yeah a little bit boring but vouchers are always good if you if, i mean again most people listening are golfers i imagine or if you're not why are listening? But thanks for listening. Um, vouchers are always pretty good. Things like a dozen Pro V ones never go amiss. I like the personalised ones. As yeah, well. they're free you know, now to get done. I think. Yeah, no, no, no cost. This is not a plug, by the way. No. Um, anyway, so yeah, Christmas crap, Christmas gifts. You know they're going to come, and people get them. As soon as you know you're a golfer, you just get these terrible gifts, and we apologise for everybody, or we fi- we sympathise with anyone that's going to get terrible Christmas gifts this Christmas. Are you ready for another change in my mind? Let's do it. This is going to be. The, probably the most controversial one I'm ever going to do. You not, you don't know what this is yet, but you already know my thoughts on this to some degree, so you won't be that surprised when you hear it. <clears throat> the Ryder Cup is massively overrated. It's not actually that good. We've just lost all listeners. Everybody has just zoned out now. Let me explain. Go on. Again. Take these with a pinch of salt. I don't always believe what I say, but I this one definitely gonna take it with a pinch. This of salt. one, I do believe more so than normal. So, this argument I think is stronger from a European perspective. Our US listeners might totally disagree, and I kind of get why they would. But first things first, I'm never gonna go support a golfer over Tiger Woods. So, if Tiger Woods is playing singles, I idolised him growing up. He started. He won his first major in '97. I started playing in '97. So, literally, all I've ever known is Tiger Woods being a golfer. I don't care who it is, who's representing Europe. If it's a singles match or anything like that, I want Tiger to win. Case closed. Your thoughts on that? That's it. Um, That's the first point of many. My thoughts on Tiger. I don't like seeing him lose. Okay. I don't. But for the Ryder Cup, I can I can manage it. Right, okay. If, if it meant... This, if someone said to me, Rick... Europe will win the Ryder Cup and Tiger Woods will win all matches. That would be perfect. Yeah, I was going to say, why, does that, why is that a bad but thing? <laughs> well, all right then, let's just say someone that you might... A Molinari, nice guy, good golfer. You can't honestly tell me you want Molinari to beat Tiger. I don't watch Tiger beat him 10 and 8. <laughs> um, and I, I know the audience can't see your face, but I know you're struggling there on this point. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't want to see him lose, though. I don't. Exactly. Want, I don't. That's. The, I think that's the difference, though. I don't. I want it to be a good match. I don't particularly want him to win ten and eight. Yeah. I just don't want him to lose. And that's the thing, though. Why I don't that get sounds it? Ridiculous. Because say, like in in football, I know obviously soccer. You know, the US listeners might not be as keen or whatever. But like Mo Salah is one of Liverpool's best players, if not the best player now. And I obviously support Liverpool, therefore I like Mo Salah. If he left tomorrow and went to Manchester United, I don't suddenly start wanting them to do well because he plays. He's left my team. That's kind of gone, good riddance or whatever. Whereas the Ryder Cup, there's players that I support more who happen to play for the US. So that's my first point. We'll, we'll leave on. I think I've got points worked. The thing is, on that point, though, and this goes the opposite way for me, when Cristiano Ronaldo left United, yeah. I was heartbroken. Yeah. I wanted Real Madrid to do better. Because Real Madrid, because Cristiano, but, but they're not a rival, it, though, it are they? United, a, unless they play in Champions exactly. League, and you'd still want, I still want United to yeah. win. I just want to watch the performance of Ronaldo. So that's my first point. My second point is, I personally, this might be another personal thing. I might be a bit weird here. I don't feel connected as a fan or as just a person to to Europe as such. Obviously, to England, I do. I always want England to win in any sport, whether it be cricket or rugby. That I'm not really into, but I'll watch it and want to win. Or even the United Kingdom, obviously, but. Europe, I don't have any more affinity to Italy than I do to America. So when it's Europe versus the USA, I don't really, f- I don't feel European. I feel English, British, whatever. 
I don't support Europe. This isn't going to get into politics, is it? No, 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 nothing like that. Nothing like that. (laughs) I just don't feel like I support Europe. Um, If I was American, on the other hand, and I would be passionate that I wanted America. Yeah, because it's one... Exactly, it's one big, you know, the United States. So that's why I said earlier on, if I was American, I might look at the Ryder Cup differently. If it was the old style of, was it GBI versus American, the original Ryder Cup, that might be a totally different spin. We'd get battered, I imagine, but I'd be much more behind it than I would be for Europe. Yeah, uh, and I can kind of see that to a degree. Uh, the question I have for you, and this is, have you ever been to a Ryder Cup? No. It's the best atmosphere ever. I'm going to come on to that in a minute. At a golf event, I've been to now three Ryder Cups, and each one of them was just electrifying. The atmosphere, the passion, the actual tournament play was Far better than any other major tournament I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. Better than the Open. Better than the Masters for atmosphere. Yeah. Not for actually what... And, and first tee. I'm not that bothered. If someone said to me, Rick, Tiger's going to play on the first hole at Augusta, I'm not that bothered about breaking my neck to get there to watch him tee off on the first. Because I watch him on the 13th or the 14th or 18th, whatever. The Ryder Cup is so unbelievably important to watch those first mm-hmm. tee shots. Friday morning at uh, Le Golf National in, in Paris, and when I was there in the grandstands, it was electrifying. I've never felt so passionate. But I was passionate about golf as exactly. opposed to... It was, was Tiger teeing off. It's I not about, about Tiger. Yeah. That's and and to be fair, you know, I'll be honest though. with you, this, this is something, bar the Europeans, Tiger without question got the best yeah reception the everybody in the crowd was stood up on their feet i think and that's where golf is very different to other sports mm. any other sport he's more been, respectful isn't it he'd have been booed off the planet and that's another thing like you don't get booze in the middle of back swings at the rider court which you, no. you kind of expect to with so much alcohol and booze and passion going around and also you know like I say it's respected there's there's the pantomime characters like um, Reed and yeah. Ian Poulter yeah. that definitely get booed as such, but it's not really booing. I'm sure, you know, they don't take it pers- you know, players, I'm sure it's hard, but I'm sure the fans who are booing them actually don't dislike them. It's just because they're playing in the Ryder Cup. Yeah. So the atmosphere is amazing. Um, what I like as well, personally, how passionate the players are about getting uh, onto the Ryder Cup team. See, it's interesting you come on to that. And that was going to some something I was going to come on to a minute ago. Well, sorry, in, in a minute. I've got a couple of other points first, but let me come on to that now then. So I almost, I don't disagree because I know what you're saying, but is that almost that, you know, golf is an individual sport and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be ever in a team because I've played as a junior for my club and everything. It's a great camaraderie. It's great kind of banter and it's fun to play a different format. But although the players are keen to get on the teams, it's almost a status thing that, you know, you get on that team, you're one of the best players in Europe or the best players in America. Actually, how much passion do they have in winning? Like, what does it actually mean to win? And and also as well, let's just say, obviously the world number one is typically from America or Europe, but the world number one is from Australia. You know, when Adam Scott was up there, he can't even play in it. So it's the arguably one of the biggest tournaments in the world, but the best players aren't always playing in it. Yeah, like Jason Day has not yeah. played in it. Obviously, he never will, Adam obviously. Scott. Um, you know, even like going back in the years, like Greg Norman, yeah. Nick Price, Ernie Els. So. I, Although I, 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 you do see passion from some players, obviously Poulton's at, at Poulter is clearly one of the ones that springs to mind. The Vijay Singh, sorry, just someone else. Yeah, there's, that's it, there's loads. But it's like passionate, but I don't know, like, is Tiger that bothered? Is Rory that? I know he's been seen fist bumping on the courses, but actually, other than when they're actually in it, how bothered are they? I don't know. Um, I, I would definitely say for the, you know, I can't personally imagine Brooks kept because that bothered. No. But you go down a couple of levels of tiers and into like maybe not the top ten in the world, but the top fifty. That's where they're more passionate, I believe. Yeah. Like Pulter would have it as his probably his number one goal. Now, here'd be a question though. If you said to Pulter, I know what you're gonna say. you can win one, you can you can, can win the open. hand in <laughs> all of your Re- Ryder Cup victories and trade it for an open championship. Hundred percent. He would, do I you think, think? I think literally in a heartbeat personally i do we'll have to get pulter on would he swap all of his major ma- uh, rider cup 
victories and memories and turn them all into negative losses just to win one Open Championship. Okay, so we've got a couple more points and then we'll we'll leave this topic. But I think I'm doing a lot of bad job at convincing you to some degree. So I, I, when you said it, when, when so it was Ryder Cup 2000, uh, last year, and I said to Guy, All right, I'm going to go to Paris. Do you fancy coming? He was like, not it was actually that. my birthday weekend, which is why I oh, didn't, right, yeah. but also I wasn't that. Bothered. You weren't that bothered. No. I was like, what do you mean you're not bothered? Yeah. If I said, let's go to the Masters, you, 100%. 100%. So the other thing then is, and this might not be a big point to a lot of people, but it kind of feels it. Obviously, you know, I'm not a diehard football fan, but I do follow Liverpool Football Club. I watch, you know, every televised match. I don't really go to the game very often anymore. You know, you support United, but, you know, not as much recently. You know, you're not a massive football fan. But equally, if Liverpool play Manchester United and Liverpool win, which they probably will at the minute, then I can give you a bit of stick. It's that little bit of banter. Great. Who on earth do I brag to when Europe win? Yeah, well, and that's where you don't have many American No, other people listening to the podcast from America who are class as friends, obviously. I don't have any American friends whatsoever. Most people in Europe, unless you have a work colleague overseas, it's different for you now. You've built up you know, other creators that you're friendly with and you speak to. But realistically, who does the average Joe from Birmingham know who's in America that you can give a bit of banter to about? And that's part of the excitement of sport, whether it be American football, basketball, baseball. You have buddies or friends or whatever who... Even if you've, you went to university with them and they now live six hours away, but you send the odd text or WhatsApp to, I don't know anybody in America. Who who do I gloat to? Who do I brag to? I think you almost have to, and, and I agree with what you're saying there. I think you almost, as a as a, let's say you're an English guy, like you said, a guy from Birmingham, you've almost got to be satisfied with the gloating of the players that win it themselves. Mm. So that the bit of the bit of to and fro in that goes back and forth from the actual players that have played in the Ryder Cup. But that's very short lived. It doesn't last long. And because it's yeah. every two years and every four years in Europe and every four years in America, it is actually quite hard to really get passionate about. And that would it be last question, would it be as popular if it was every year? No. I think it'd be less popular yeah, if it was every year. I actually think the two-year cycle keeps it keeps the right balance between excitement, anticipation, without it being too too intense. Yeah, and I think I think lastly for me, I mean I've got a couple more points, but I'll keep it short and sweet. Lastly, I very quickly forget who won. Like I know obviously it was your last time, but because it is every two years. And, you know, the play, say something like the World Cup, for example, in football or whatever, or even rugby, it's every four years, it's a massive, huge deal when you win it because it's not going to be for another four years. The chances of winning it again are slim. Or like the Olympics. Yeah, the Olympics, exactly. It's it's so, you know, it's so, not only is it rare that it comes across, but if you're an Olympic, let's say you're an Olympic 100 metre sprinter, it's only every four years, but then next time you come, there's, what is it, ten, nine other athletes or seven other athletes running against you who could win. There's only two teams playing the Ryder Cup, but it's only every two years. So I, I don't know who won the 90 or 92 or 94 or whatever years it was. I, I don't really know. Like, I don't know who's won more overall. I'm guessing America, but I don't really know. And I think it just feels a little bit when it does come around. Although I do know what you mean about like the atmosphere, and I definitely saw that. It did, did come through on TV. That first tee did look really good. But it felt, <laughs> people are going to hate me for this, it felt a little forced, a little bit cringy. They didn't feel like actually, but they didn't feel real. Like it just feels a bit like right, we're at the Ryder Cup. We need to look passionate. We need to have a few drinks. Let's put it on. It doesn't feel natural. Uh, I'm not sure how to counter that because I was there and it felt yeah, bloody. Natural. I wasn't there, it felt so. super super light. Like I said, the only like kind of cheesy thing is when like like Rory goes to the crowd and starts doing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's just not a like that. Um, yeah, like, it's just... that's the, the, it's almost sometimes it feels forced from the players themselves. That's sometimes probably what I mean a bit more. Where I, I think the fans are actually way more passionate. Yeah, they re- like because you know I, I do believe it carries a lot of weight. I do believe it's very you know people do certainly hold it in high regard, and it is a super exciting tournament. There's not many tournaments bar the Masters and the Open that I want to watch every single golf shot from. The atmosphere there is electrifying. And if you said to me, "What can you watch the Masters or the Open from the TV? Yes. Do you want to watch the Ryder Cup from the from the, the venue or the TV? I'd want to be at the venue because the atmosphere is just totally yeah, different. Yeah, I think the the difference, I've never been to the to the Ryder Cup, but the difference for me at home watching, and don't get me wrong, I did quite enjoy the Ryder Cup this year. It was better than I was expecting because I had quite a negative mindset with it, as you can probably tell. But I did quite enjoy it. But 
what's different when you're watching a major, certainly the the Masters or the Open, which I personally class as the best two. You kind of feel like on that Sunday you're watching history be made because whether it be somebody winning again that's already won before or whether it's a brand new person that's never won a major before win the major like when Willett won or whatever, you're watching history. Whereas the Ryder Cup, it's like, oh, Europe have won this time or America have won this time. I'll be back again in two years. It's just like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but that's my thoughts on it. I don't think I've changed your mind, but I think that was a good discussion. It was. It was pretty decent. Um, we've got some questions coming we've in. We've got some questions. I feel like a lot of people aren't going to like that topic. No, but I, anyway. I don't. I, I, you know what would be interesting to hear the view of? Someone who isn't American or European. That's true. Because for me, let's say President's Cup right now, yeah. I'm, I wasn't bothered. Yeah. You know, doesn't doesn't kind of bother me at all. Uh, so it'd be interesting to hear Australia's or um, other people's opinion on it um, who are not from that country. Yeah. So let's get on to some questions. So we haven't a- actually answered any questions for a few weeks, which I do feel bad about, but we've got some of the old ones that we screenshotted that were actually really good. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So, first one is from, these are all off the Facebook group. If you're not on the Facebook group, check it out. Go onto Facebook in the search bar, type in Rick Shields Golf Show Podcast and find the group and join. Or if you're not on Facebook, you can email us at um, podcast at rickshields.com. Yeah, no, we're loving the, we're loving the uh, group at the moment. There's so many passionate people in there, so thanks so much. And make sure you do check out our official sponsored Sponsored page of the podcast, the Rick Shields Facebook page. Every day you're getting new content on there that is designed to uh, help you play better golf and enjoy it a little bit more as well. So questions coming in, what have we got? So Rob Healy on Facebook asks, will you be hosting another YouTube golf day? Oh, good question. Mm. Yeah, I don't know yet. Um, I kind of want to give an answer, but I'm not sure yet. I really enjoyed the YouTube golf there this year in May. It, you know, it. What's mad about it? And Guy was with me at the time. We were sat in a coffee shop at the, in the start of January, thinking about ideas to do for 2019. And I said, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool if we got like a a big golf day and loads of people came and loads of creators came and blah blah blah. And in no time at all, less than you know, just over five months. Was it that long? No, about four, four and a bit months. 
we pulled it off to the level it was at and it was a phenomenal day we really enjoyed every bit of it and it raised shed loads of money for charity it brought creators together it was just bloody hard work mm-hmm. but I wonder if next time it'll be less hard work because we've got now a bit of a footprint. We've got a bit of a blueprint to follow. Um, I would love to do one in the USA. That would be a big passion of mine. Um, and then if I do if I do, do another one, possibly next year it'll be USA if I did do one and then alternate the years. Um, you know, so we'll see. Stay it was, tuned. It was good. And like you said, there's a lot of work that went in kind of behind the scenes that obviously... I don't think, enough, I don't think a lot of people kind of... A, somewhat appreciated how because it was bloody hard it and really i think that's was. that's testament to the day a lot of these events that you go to that are really good they almost look seamless you don't see it's like when you go we went obviously to the open well you went to the open we went to um ireland about open six, links invitation it, yeah six weeks or so before or four weeks before the open and all all the infrastructure was already up all the tented village was getting built as we were there and you think flipping heck when you come to a golf tournament actually on the day it's almost like oh this was built yesterday but it's not it's done weeks and months in advance yeah it's crazy and you don't see all that side of it and that was the same that was a much smaller scale but it took weeks and months but it did it took a lot of a lot of effort from, obviously from from you and, and other people that helped us but and you you were you were massively influential i think it was it was one of those one of those events that we we either went all out and pulled out the stops or it would have flopped and we're happy that we did pull out all the stops and, and i think it, and it went well and and worst case if it never happened again that one was class yeah exactly so <laughs> maybe maybe that's the one we should one and out so yeah, one exactly. successful one and out but stay tuned i'm not saying no um but if i am going to do one you will be the first people to know For about sure. it okay so this is quite a good question actually what do, this is from Mark Daly again on Facebook. What do you think you are doing right with your content to attract and keep so many international followers? Can't believe how many US golfers are subscribed to the content. Mm. Uh, well, let's give a bit of backstory to that. So first off, uh, I'm just going to pull up some analytics right now. So because I, I don't think a lot of people know this, and they don't need to know it, but so um, 42.7% of the audience are from. United States of America, which is mind-boggling because obviously I'm UK-based, but a lot of people see that as, you know, whoa, that's a lot of people, but there's just more golfers in the US, quite simpler. You know, the more golf courses, more um, viewers and more people who are interacting with YouTube. Then it goes 21% UK, then 6.5% Australia, 5% Canada, and 2.5% Sweden. And then from that, every single country you could ever imagine makes up the rest of the percentage, which is probably another 10% or so. We've had 94 different countries who listen to this podcast. Wow, that's crazy. So we've literally had plays from as far afield. We've had Thailand, South Korea, India, Poland, Brazil, um, Kenya, Egypt, Jamaica, Bahrain. Like, I could keep going. There's 90-odd countries. That's mad. How do they understand what we're saying? I don't know. <laughs> um, so what do I, what do I think is... You know, why do we get such an international viewer? Well, I think the first thing is I I honestly believe that the YouTube adds value, whether it's adding value from an entertainment standpoint. So playing golf with, let's say, the world's tallest golfer or Robbie Williams or other creators that I play golf with, that's entertainment. Whether it's adding value by teaching you how to hit better golf shots through the instructional content that I create, which I always try and keep super simple. I don't need to complicate it. And also, I want to talk to a broad audience golf audience rather than being super specific and tailored and then lastly as well i give unbiased fair complete thorough reviews of golf equipment which i don't honestly believe anyone else on the planet really does so for me they're my kind of three main strands of content i've been consistent i've been doing this now for seven years on youtube but you might have listened to a podcast uh, last episode where i dived into a little bit more about the backstory of youtube and how it all started um, and also, I strive to continue to evolve and create better content. Guy uh, works for me who, you know, we go through ideas, we never we never relax, we never um, rest on our morals, we continue to innovate and to bring out the best content there is possibly available on the internet, and we bloody work hard at it. So we appreciate that, that it is appreciated, and, and we're glad you're enjoying it, and the fact that now we're not only making YouTube content, Facebook content, podcasts instagram instagram content tiktok videos we're doing everything so make sure you follow us and everything but yeah i think that's as an overall 
that's probably why we are attracting such an audience. So we can't try and keep things quite broad and, and exciting. Golf should be fun and exciting, and that's something we try and portray. Or certainly I try and portray in the videos. Good answer. Thank you. Do we want another question, or do you want another change of my mind? No, I want more questions. <laughs> I can't, my head's hurting uh, to change my mind too much. Good, because the ones I've got are getting a bit worse. Um, <laughs> Save this, them. This is actually... Um, a question that you've semi-answered in a recent video that's gone out, but not fully. So this is from Beto Radovic, I think, on Facebook. Um, Arcos Golf System, your thoughts? Um, I completely dismissed Arcos. I, I've tested it a few years ago. Was It was okay. It was around the time when game golf was dead popular um, and other, I'm trying to think of the other ones, but game golf and Arcos were the big ones. I'd used game golf quite a bit in the past. I didn't particularly like the tagging of the game golf across like a um, uh, device you used to wear on your, on your belt. What I don't like about Arcos is the fact you have to have your phone in your pocket and I don't like that personally. Um, if I ever do have my phone in my pocket when I play golf, I have it in my back pocket or certain, you know, just out of the way. Uh, a lot of the time, you might find this hard to believe. I actually have my, my phone in my bag a lot when I'm actually playing golf. Easy to hand, obviously, but mainly in my bag. If you had a phone that's like an iPhone Max or a big, big, you know, Android phone, it would feel very out of, you know, just feel awkward in your pocket. So I like the feedback you get from Arcos, what I would love it to be, and I'm sure there are developments to this. It just to be completely seamless somehow. If you had to use a little device that sat in your pocket rather than your phone, and there might already be it, I don't really know. But I like the data you get. I do believe it can benefit your games. I do believe that data is important. However, just the last point on that, I also think data can sometimes be quite damaging. Mm. I've known golfers in the past that just get their head blown, you know, away with how much data is actually available. And this leads me on to a question I was just going to ask you off the back of this. A bit of a loaded question. I agree with you that, you know, launch monitors and the Arcos and game golfs, all these things are are really good. You know, how golfers can get numbers in um, fittings and even obviously watching YouTube videos. Do you think the average golfer, and by average, let's just say handicaps of 5 up to 28, whatever, are, they, are some people getting too obsessive with numbers and is it hindering their performance and ultimately their handicaps, etc.? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. There is, unfortunately now, we've, we're at this point where data wasn't ready available no. a few years ago, right? So nobody knew about it and, you know, when it became new, not enough people knew about it so they were kind of tiptoeing into it. Now more people are aware of it, more people are behind it and now more people, unfortunately, are overloading on data, mm-hmm. whether it be, like you mentioned, launch monitor data for the, the exact spin number on certain products. It's just over the top. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's something I've seen during fittings. I think we've probably even done it ourselves sometimes where... I got guilty of it in the past giving too much data. And also, though, you'd hit a driver, not necessarily you, but people do it they'll hit one on the driving range they might crunch it down the middle and go oh i had two seven spin now obviously if you're buying a drive you want it to be absolutely optimum for you but if you're playing golf and you launch a drive down the middle of the 18th fairway when you're having a great round you're not thinking oh that had 2007 spin <laughs> you're thinking yes i've hit the fairway i can hold yeah, the, exactly, the hole that's the exactly. best round of the year yeah exactly no i agree i think i think simulators and launch monitors have, have played a massive part in development of golf and the way that we we learn and the way that we get fitted etc it's just unfortunate i've seen too many too many um, examples of where golfers are just you know getting there too much of a fix and then because of that are not actually playing golf they're so focused on data and up and down ratio and missed fairways and you know i've got many examples of golfers that i teach or have taught in the last few years who I'm like, just get rid of all this bloody data, will you? Just go just and play, play and golf. Play. It's like when I was probably at my peak, it was when I was like literally like 15 or something, so it was a long time ago now. But it was, and similar to yourself, I think, it was down to having putting comps, having chipping comps, playing 18 holes, playing 36 holes. And it was just learning how to play the game. And you think the access people have now to all these different systems and uh on oh, my strokes gained was this, or I missed the green right on this many holes. Like, if you are a professional golfer or you're working with a coach, that obviously has some benefits. But I think for the average golfer, it could just get too much. Yeah, I completely agree. Take it, take the. Inf- it's hard. Take the information 
that you need and try and work on that as opposed to overdosing on all of the the, the data. So what would what would your advice be to the? I know I use the term average golfer quite loosely, but the average golfer that's listening to this podcast that you know isn't going to spend every night at the driving range. They've got families, they're busy. What would you say they should focus on to get better at golf? Is it just playing more? Is it a bit more time on the putting green? What what's the? Well. Let's, the average golfer, you're right, is quite a broad spectrum because some average golfers, let's say a nine handicap average golfer, he might just actually, he or she might just need to work on pitching and putting, mm-hmm. etc. So that's quite specific. But if I was to give some actual guidelines of, of how people can play better is spend less time on the driving range, more time on the golf course when it's, when it's you know, a, applicable and also to play more actual golf, competitive golf and be able to test yourself in certain certain, uh, certain situations. Sometimes golfers get fall into playing just match play all the time, and it, and I don't think it really pushes a golfer to get any better. Um, other formats as well. I don't always think it kind of mm. pushes people to get better. Where if you really monitored yourself, if you really thought out a good solid plan and had regular coaching or at least some level of coaching. Regular practice that is very specific to what you're trying to improve on your game to try and figure out exactly what you need to work on as opposed to just hitting willy-nilly kind of golf shots and then play more, Mm -hmm. golfers would improve. I think one thing a lot of golfers don't do enough, and I don't do this enough, and it's hard to do so, especially if you are a member of one golf club, is to play more courses because that's certainly a, a challenge, but... You know, when you play at the, the same course week in, week out, obviously it's great because you get to know it, you get to know the members. It's obviously, if, you're, if you are a member, it's making your membership worthwhile because you're utilising that course that you're paying for and obviously paying a lot of money for. But you start to you start to know the breaks of the green, which is good, but you start to always know it sometimes too well. And you're to another course, and you also have that ability to think your way around. You just Sometimes at your home course, you stand up on a tee and just smack a club because you know it's always a three-wood or it's always a driver or it's always a seven-iron or very often a seven-iron, whatever. But then when you get to another course, you're actually thinking, right, well, the pin's there, there's wind coming from here, there's a bunker there, and it kind of it makes you think more. No, I'd agree. I, I would say it's one of the biggest regrets that I have maybe as a junior golfer. I kind of got quite complacent playing at the same golf course yeah. all the time. Where if I if I'd have tested myself and actually gone and played at more different golf courses in competition play, I honestly think I could have got a lot better, a lot quicker. Because like you say, you do just become com- complacent and just, you know, you get to the third hole, which is a par three, and you instantly take seven iron because that's what you've taken for the last four weeks. Yeah, another thing I jump, I think I um I said this to you a couple of weeks ago, actually not on a podcast or anything, but just that idea I had. It sounds ridiculous, but I've actually play, if you're playing golf practicing or whatever or you're playing with friends and you actually want to count a score i think what's quite a cool way of doing it is actually say you get a four on the first hole which is a par actually then your next tee shot's your fifth shot and then your next shot is your sixth shot and your seventh shot as opposed to having a four and then moving on and the only reason i say that is a lot of the time people forget that every shot counts it sounds silly but we've said this before in videos or you've said this before in videos that a putt that's for an eight is as important as a putt that's for a birdie or for a two or whatever it might be. And if you counted every shot, although it might be a bit long-winded, but if you had an idea of what every shot was actually worth, you'd realise that every shot is as worthwhile as the next one. Whereas sometimes, like my brother's an absolute example of this, he'll have a putt for a, a nine, let's say he's had a terrible hole, he'll walk up to it, he'll hit it, and he'll probably end up missing it. The next hole, he has a putt for a birdie too, and he takes ages on it. And it's like, I get it to some still, degree. I still miss it. Yeah, I get it to some degree. Cause it's like, oh, it was nice to get a birdie on the scorecard. But that birdie too is just as it's just as valuable, if you like, as the putt for the nine on the previous hole. Every shot counts. I think the only challenge with that is that I think that'll put almost too much pressure on the golfer mm-hmm. to, you know, really, really focus on every single shot. Because... You know, this is why I believe that breaking the holes up into not just nine holes, but like, let's say, three six holes or, you know, six three holes is that it's just a little bit more bite-sized. I would worry doing it that way when you're adding every single shot up. It could almost feel quite... It's it's, it's never it's hard to gauge, isn't it, some description? Yeah, I suppose. Um, but I do believe what you've just said, though, is, you know, even if it's for a double bogey, you know, spending your time to really try and hole it or not... I don't know, not letting your head down and trying to just hit it for the sake of hitting it. I think that's that's a big one. Um, it would be interesting, though, just to count every single shot. It we, would be weird, but... 
like we've got some videos video ideas around that where if someone played i'm not going to give all the video ideas away but if someone had to play continuously and they only had x amount of shots how far around the golf course would they get and things mm-hmm. like that so they'll be coming hopefully soon if you see that on youtube you heard it here first they stole our idea from the mm-hmm. podcast and <laughs> we should just give all our ideas away and say don't steal um anything else questions coming in guy have a quick look I don't think we you. should do another change of mind. No. Let's save those ones. I know you've got some good ones in the bank. By um, the way, if you listen this far, this far, I think I'm going to tell you a secret now. I do actually like the Ryder Cup. Wow. Not loads, but it's all right. Um, <laughs> okay, one one last one. <laughs> I like whisper. Yeah. I've got the headphones in. That's how, it might, hopefully it sounded as creepy as it did in my ears for um, everyone listening. This one is something actually that does get overlooked quite a lot, and I feel like this has actually almost died off a little bit. Um, as a as a not a trend, but certainly in the UK, and I'll come on to it now. <laughs> Won't keep you waiting any longer. From Jason Adams, Rick, have you done a video when well, you haven't done? But have you done a video on the difference between steel and graphite shafts for irons? Now I don't think you have, but maybe let's answer that. What what is the difference? What's the benefits? So the actual difference is the fact that steel, the graphite is is lighter than steel. So certainly for golfers who struggle with swing speed, increasing swing speed. The lighter the shaft, the more chance you've got to encourage that that swing speed to be faster, therefore turn into ball speed, therefore turn into distance. The disadvantage to graphite is that often it's more expensive. Often it's slightly harder to custom fit. There are weirdly kind of more options with graphite, but that's not always the best thing because it can get quite complicated. And weirdly, it kind of died off a little bit. It was Mm. certainly very popular with brands, let's say, like Yonex. Yeah. And um, like I always remember Callaway, their really expensive irons always been more tailored yeah. more to graphite shafts. I think it's quite big in the European markets. I th- I'm sure. I would imagine Europe Germany, and like it's quite Asia big. way as yeah. well. I feel like probably over in Asia, it would be almost the opposite way where 90 yeah. percent of irons that are sold are probably in graphite. Which I actually don't know the numbers here no, in the UK or the lot, US. The only thing that used to annoy me as a, as a fitter and is as, as in retail and stuff was when. A brand would bring out a set of irons in steel and in graphite, but the graphite was longer in length. Oh, 100%. And it's like, surely, the, the consumer that needs help and wants speed, obviously, yeah, length's going to help them get the speed, but they're also looking for consistency, for better strikes, and having a longer golf club that was sometimes best part of an inch, maybe three-quarters of an inch, that's not going to help them no. find the middle of the face. It's actually much harder to find the middle of the face. Yeah, obviously, woods in the last decade or two has always been graphite shafts but even the period of time at the early early um, 2000s where tiger was still yeah. using like a, a nike driver with a steel shaft or a tightless driver with a steel shaft whatever it was you don't see that and, and even three woods mm. everyone used to have steel shafted three yeah. woods i used um, to have a 98 tightless 980f which was steel s300 yeah class. i think i'd like uh what did what which one did you just 980f pro trajectory I had a I had a Titus three wood, but it was with the Pro Force yellow graphite shaft, like yellow and purple, like um, yellow majority yeah, and of the shaft, the purple, at the top. And purple at the top. I can't remember which actual that a, model that was um, now. I feel like it was it was nine oh nine or nine oh seven or nine oh five or <laughs> yeah, it's one of those anyway. Um, yeah, like I say, <clears throat> you don't really see graphite shafts that much anymore. I'm saying that, but I've actually got no facts behind it. I think. Um, what you'll see as well, most of the steel that the brands use now is super, super light. So back in the day when it was just pretty much R300, it was like 125 grams or something. Whereas you're seeing graphite steel shafts now as light as 90, 90 grams. So it's not far off the weight of a graphite anyway. And you could argue a steel's a little bit more stable. I think um, the benefit as well if you go with a steel shaft potentially is that if you are... You know, if you're older or just don't have a clubhead speed, then graphite may help you. But for most golfers, if you're new to the game and got told to buy graphite, if you got better and got your swing got more powerful and you created more speed, it wouldn't take long before the graphite was just too too soft and didn't feel very nice. Whereas, obviously, if you get a light steel, it's probably going to last you for, for longer, I guess. Yeah, good questions. Um, should we finish on one more? I've got, yeah, okay. Um, I was going to ask you something, but it, Go yeah, on. Go on. it might be a bit short notice. Go on. I was just looking at this 980F, and it was a good golf club. I got it up on Google. What's the favorite? What's your favorite golf club that you've ever owned? Now it might take a little second because obviously you've owned a lot of golf clubs in your time. <laughs> I have, but like this stands out to me. That was a great golf club. Um, 
I also had a Callaway ERC, the first one. Ooh, now at re- had money. No, well, no, they didn't. <laughs> at retail, someone was doing well. No, at retail, they were five hundred pounds. I got one second hand at the time for one hundred and thirty quid as a junior, which is still obviously not cheap when you're a junior. But it actually, weirdly, the the top of the face had a we- you couldn't see it from the naked eye, but it had like um, a weird like bump almost that came out. So when you hit a shot from high up on the face, which is pretty much where you want to hit your driver. It did like what we used to call a topspin lobber, where it like would come out the sky did quickly. It was really peculiar flight. But even so, even though it didn't really work very well, I absolutely loved it. And I remember, I think it was probably my 11th or 12th birthday, my mum made me a birthday cake that was the ERC driver head. Wow. I absolutely I loved it. I want to see pictures of that one I day. used to polish it. Honestly, I used to have a Scotty as a well. Cake. <laughs> yeah, I, I polished that. But um, I used to have a Scotty as well, a Pro Platinum that was, again, second-hand, and I absolutely idolised it. And as a junior, I'd, honestly, I'd clean it all the time. I'd put gun oil on it, even though this model didn't really need gun oil, but I'd gun oil it. I'd have it in my bedroom, put in all the time. And I think as a junior, like, clubs meant so much. You had them for so long, and it was just like... I don't I know, but that. did you have it for so long? I don't know if it was just like a... Because I, I felt like I used to swap all the time. I used to do trade-ins with my mate. Yeah, that's Not true. like buying new stuff, just trade-in. So you actually took me down a nice walk of memory lanes. I had quite a few ideas lined up until you talked about putters. So for me, I'll just give you a quick rundown. One of my favourite clubs ever, because it brings back amazing memories for me, was my first ever steel head driver, yes. which was the original steel head driver, which at the time looked gigantic, but it was it's, now it's ridiculously tiny. So that's one of them, definitely, because it's the first, like, and you, as I was probably a 12, 13-year-old kid, I actually slept with that driver, like, literally in my bed, asleep with it. So that was what, and it had, like, a furry head cover. Yes, I The best. So that's one, that's definitely up there. Another one that was up there is a two-ball, the original two-ball, which I still, to this day, not the same one, unfortunately, but still to this day, I own original two-ball, which I feel like will go in the museum one day. And then finally, it's the Scotty Cameron Trillium putter that I've got which I've just had refurbished, that I had as a kid. I kicked it about, I booted the neck, I absolutely damaged it, it was a long neck and I, it was battered. I took it to uh, Chris Finch over in Preston who uh, restored it to an incredible standard and that again will be when I get an executive office that will sit behind my desk as, in, a, in, a, in a glass cabinet um, along with probably the Wilson V679 that I got my first ever hole-in-one with. I'm a little bit upset, by the way. When you said um, Callaway, Big Bertha, it reminded me of a club that I can't believe I forgot about. This is by far my favourite ever club. Edit. And I'm going to show, I'm going to turn it around. Edit. You can't, see, I know the audience can't see it, this was it. It was the Callaway Golf Little Bertha driver. It was essentially a, a Callaway, it was a Callaway steelhead, but for kids. And I absolutely, I got it for I think my 10th or even 9th birthday. I absolutely idolised that golf club. It was class. So if you go on Google Images and type in Little Bertha, Callaway Little Bertha. Be careful what what you go searching for in Google, everyone. I miss it. On that note, guys, that is the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast as Guy looked at his computer longingly for this uh, Little Bertha. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Stay tuned. Lots more to come. Hopefully, we're going to get one out on Christmas week, which is next week. and hopefully you're enjoying the podcast. Make sure you again you sign up to the Rick Shields Golf Podcast <laughs> Facebook <to> say. group <laughs> um, and get involved in that because it's a class group. We're really enjoying it on there, guys. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Lots more to come, and we shall see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know? Cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain. I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.